0: I invite you to turn to the 10th chapter of John. We continue our walk through John's gospel called Life in His Name, the Son of God in the Gospel of John. Remember, of course, that John is writing this account of the life of Jesus to persuade, right? To convince his readers, we and he had a first century audience, of course, but down through the ages, that includes us. We are the readers of John's Gospel, and he's writing to convince us that Jesus is the Christ, that is the Messiah, the long-awaited, promised Savior that God would send His people, and the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, we might find life in His name. That's why John writes this Gospel. and We are in the 10th chapter now in this walk. And Jesus introduced a metaphor last week that he continues in our um, passage for today of of sheep and a sheepfold and shepherds and thieves and robbers and this kind of extended analogy uh, of the kingdom of God and the people of God and the role of Jesus uh, in establishing that people. And so he's speaking to the same audience that he was speaking to at the end of chapter 9. So in John chapter 9, he healed a man who had been blind from birth. He did that on a Sabbath day, of course, inviting controversy. The Pharisees and the leaders of the the Jewish religion um, began to challenge him and debate with him. And uh, in that debate, Jesus brought up this metaphor. And so chapter 10 began with him saying, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door... Not surprisingly, his audience didn't get it. That seemed very strange to them. Why is he suddenly talking about sheep and shepherds and robbers? And so beginning in verse 7 and then following well into, the, into chapter 10, uh, Jesus begins to kind of unfold what he means and explain uh, what that story is all about. And last week he called himself the door. In verse 7 there he said, I am the door of the sheep. So if you have in your mind this pen, this sheep fold, which was kind of an enclosed area where the sheep would spend the night, and there's one entrance that's sort of authorized, right? The sheep go in that door, and the one who guards the door and keeps the sheep, the sheep safe is the shepherd. And so in, that, in the verses we looked at last week, Jesus called himself the door. I am the entrance into the sheepfold. And it begins to to demonstrate that the sheepfold, that is this flock of sheep, really is God's people. The people of God. The people that belong to him. And Jesus says that my own will follow me. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So he is the door. And then today he's going to take a next step and actually identify himself not only as the door, the gateway into the sheepfold, but as the shepherd, and in fact, the good shepherd. And we find here one of these uh, great I am statements in the Gospel of John. There are seven of those. The third one was I am the door, and then the fourth one is I am the good shepherd, which he will say uh, here in this passage today. So as I was kind of looking around uh, and trying to, to study up on shepherds and sheep and this culture and even in, in Middle Eastern cultures today, where shepherding is still very much a uh, an important part uh, of of life and culture uh, and agriculture there. I found some videos. I wanted to find a way to show them here, but I can't because we don't have internet connection. But I found some videos that you should go. You should just go to YouTube or something and look this up. It's pretty cool. I found videos of of a whole flock of sheep in a field. And there was one who was clearly their shepherd, the one who knows these sheep and takes care of these sheep. But there was a group of tourists or visitors. And so basically each tourist would sort of stand uh, out uh, out in front of the, the sheep and kind of call. So he had a particular call that he used to get the attention of these sheep. And so he told these people what the call was. There was something strange, like eeke, 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 eek, some kind of sound like that. And so one by one, these tourists, yeah, I'm not going to do it again. That's just one time. Uh, these, these tourists or these visitors would stand in front of the sheep and do this call to try to get the sheep's attention, and nothing. They're eating. They're just minding their own business. People are calling, eeke, eeke, eek, eek, whatever. I did it again. And they don't answer, right? Uh, no response whatsoever. Like three or four different people try, men, women, kids, adults. Right? So you get different voices, different tones. The sheep don't care. But then as soon as the shepherd does that very same sound, the sheep head, they all perk up and they come running. Like immediately, they recognize the voice of their shepherd and they come to him. And there are all kinds of videos like that. There's another one where there's uh, apparently several shepherds uh, and so several flocks all kind of combined out in this pasture. And then they need to call their own sheep and so you have several different shepherds who each have a unique call. And so one would make a call and some of the sheep would perk up and come. And then the next one would do his call and another batch of sheep would come. And they separated themselves out based on these unique calls that their shepherd was making to them. And it was such, a, such an interesting uh, and really beautiful illustration of, the, of this very truth that Jesus is demonstrating. And so, of course, his hearers would have known that immediately because they were very familiar with sheep and shepherds and and how this works. So we have to kind of get ourselves in a a different mindset and a different cultural uh, situation to really understand what Jesus means when he calls himself the good shepherd. So I'd like to read for you uh, verses uh, 11 through 21, and then we'll walk through and see what, what is unfolding there. So last week we ended in verse 10 where he says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So beginning in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon that is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed By a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So Jesus presents himself not merely as the door, the entrance into the people of God, the family of God, the flock of God, but as the shepherd, the good shepherd. And we're going to see in this text five things about the good shepherd, five things that the good shepherd does in relation to his sheep that is his people here's the first one the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep see that in verse 11 the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep he who is a hired hand excuse me verse where is verse 11 there. there he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees And the wolf snatches them. But the good shepherd, he lays down his life for the sheep. And so in that analogy, in that culture, thinking about a shepherd and his sheep, the shepherd who owns these sheep cares for them. He cares for their well-being. And in fact, will put himself in harm's way for their safety. So if a wolf or some predator is trying to get to the sheep, the shepherd will place himself between the sheep and the predator to fend off uh, the danger and to keep his sheep safe, even risking his own life and health to do so. And that's not true of the the hired hand, he says. So if the shepherd has uh, outsourced the, the protection of the sheep, if you will, say at nighttime he hires somebody to stand guard at the door, to make sure that the sheep are okay so that the shepherd goes to bed. Well, if a wolf comes and he's threatening to get into that sheepfold, does the hired hand really care that much about these sheep? Jesus says he doesn't care about the sheep. So the wolf comes and he flees. He's getting out. Okay, I didn't sign up for this, right? My paycheck is just stand at the door. I am not putting myself at risk for these sheep. So I don't know, I don't have any vested interest in them, they're not mine, I don't care. So he's not going to put himself in harm's way, but the shepherd will risk himself and put himself in harm's way for the sake of the sheep. So when Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, he is showing us something of his heart for his people. He cares deeply for his own, he uses that phrase, his own. And I think that kind of harkens back to uh, John 6, which we'll read in a few minutes, of those who the Father has given to him. Those that the Father has given to him. So the people that God has handed to Jesus, in a sense, as his people, those are his own. And Jesus says, I care for them, and I lay my life down for the sheep. And of course, we know that as this gospel unfolds, In the coming chapters, Jesus will go all the way to a cross where he will willingly be crucified as a criminal, though he himself has done no wrong. He will be wrongly condemned and accused and executed as a criminal, though he himself had no sin. Though he himself was guilty of no crime because he would pay our penalty. He would take our sins Upon himself. For us. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says. I have been crucified with Christ. Like when Jesus was crucified. I was with him. It was my sin. It was my brokenness that was with him. It is no longer I who live. But Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God. Who loved me. And gave himself for me. Friends, Jesus loves you. It's maybe the simplest, earliest childhood song that I ever learned, and we sing it with our kids, and maybe you sing it with your kids, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. It is simple, and yet it is maybe the most profound truth in all the world. That in our brokenness, in our rebellion against God, Jesus Loves me. Jesus lays down his life for me. It's an incredible reality, an incredible truth. He cares for his own. And he takes on spiritual enemies for their sake. He takes on spiritual enemies for the sake of his people. In the book of Colossians, Paul says in chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh and God made you alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. So there's this legal burden this law against us and this debt that we owed because of our rebellion and sin against God and he canceled it. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. That is the cross where He died. So when Jesus died on the cross, our debt, the spiritual law that stood against us, was nailed to the cross along with Him. Verse 15 says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. So the enemy of our souls the devil the accuser of the brethren our very own sin and the the law of and the penalty and the justice that was demanded of that these things stood against us and jesus the good shepherd stood in the way jesus placed himself between us and that great debt and that great spiritual enemy that would have claimed us and destroyed us and condemned us to an eternity of Punishment and pain. And Jesus says, you know what? I will bear the curse for them. I will stand in the way of the enemy, the predator, the one who wants to get in and destroy the sheep. I will take it for them. Let me ask, do you know this shepherd? Do you know this shepherd who loves you and gave himself for you? You see, the good shepherd lays down his life. For the sheep. And Jesus is the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life. Second thing we learn in verses 14 and 15 is that the good shepherd knows his sheep intimately. He knows his sheep intimately. He knows them by name. Even in introducing this analogy up in verse 3 he says, The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name And leads them out. A shepherd would have known his sheep. And probably not even just as a group. That one's mine, that one's mine, that one's mine, that one's mine. But as individuals. He could recognize them as individual sheep. And had a name for each one of them. He knows his sheep by name. And he has this special call that I was talking about earlier. Where they call to their sheep. And the sheep know. The sheep hear the call. They hear the voice even of the shepherd, and distinguish it from other voices, even saying the same thing. It's not just the words, it's the voice. The sheep know their shepherd, and they will not respond to the voice of any other shepherd. So Jesus, as the good shepherd, knows his sheep. He knows his people as individuals. You're not just a part of a body when you're a follower of Jesus. You're not just a part of this collective Whole, which you are, which is a beautiful reality, but Jesus knows you as an individual. Jesus knows your needs. He knows your hurts and fears. He knows your hang ups and sins and habits. He knows your desires and your dreams and your hopes. He knows you intimately. How intimately, you ask? Well, look in verse 15 just as the father knows me and i know the father so do my sheep know me and i know my sheep now i don't know if you remember but jesus has spent a pretty good portion of john's gospel talking about how much he and the father are united this unique and intimate union that jesus the son has with god the father in verse in chapter 5, 19, he said that the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. So the only, Jesus is only doing the things that the Father is instructing him to do. In John 6, 38, he said, I came not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus is doing the things that God the Father does. Jesus is about the will and the work of the Father. In John chapter 4, when after he'd spoken with the Samaritan woman at the well, and his disciples came back with food, and they said, why aren't you going to eat? He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Doing the will of the Father was so, was so important to Jesus that it was like his sustenance. It was his food to do the will of God. In John 8, 19, he said, if you knew me, you would know my Father also. Jesus and the Father are so uniquely, intimately connected to one another as in being and in relationship that to know Jesus is to know the Father. To come to Jesus is to come to the Father, as he'll declare in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that is the intimacy The union, the connection that he uses to express how he knows his sheep. He knows his sheep individually and intimately. Do you know the shepherd? Do you have a relationship with Jesus that is based on the intimate realities of your life and your heart? And who he is and his heart and his plans and his desires and his purposes for you do you know this shepherd? The good sheep the good shepherd knows his sheep intimately. The third thing we learn is that the good shepherd gathers his sheep to himself. See this in verse sixteen. He said, "And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen. To my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. So just as the shepherds, let's say when their sheep were together with another flock or other flocks of sheep, just as the shepherd would gather his own sheep by that call, by the recognition of his voice, and the ones that belong to him would come out from the group and gather themselves to him, so will Jesus gather gather to himself those who belong to him. Jesus calls his people to himself and those who truly belong to him will follow. And we have again an echo of what he said before in John 6, 37. He says, all that the father gives to me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. And just a few verses later, in verse 44, he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. There is a mysterious, sovereign work going on here where God has chosen and gifted sinners to Jesus. Those are his. And so when Jesus comes into the world, when Jesus dies on the cross, when Jesus Calls to people, he is calling to those that God has entrusted to him, those that God, out of the world, has given to him. So, who is he calling? I think is a question that comes uh, to mind here. So, those who I call will come to me. Well, who is he calling? I think there's two layers here. First of all, remember that he is speaking to a Jewish audience, and not just any Jewish audience, but but the religious leaders. These are the guys that are in charge of overseeing the kind of religious system of the Jews of the day. And so he implies there that even among ethnic Jews, some of them are not truly his. Being a Jew is not enough to make you one of God's people in this new era, right? Under the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, to be national Israel was to be the people of God. But in Jesus' God is doing something fundamentally new. And he's breaking down these barriers. And he says, there are some, even Jewish people, who are not necessarily mine. All right. So when he's speaking to this Jewish audience, and he says, the, my own will come to me, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I think he's, he's implying that there are some Jews who are not truly his. And he will call his own from among the nation of Israel. There are those who will trust Jesus and come to him in faith, and there are those who will not. And Jesus is saying, the ones who don't receive me as the Messiah, as the Son of God, they're not mine. They're not my people. But there's another layer where he's, thinking, where he's speaking outside the, the boundaries of even ethnicity at all. So when he's speaking to a Jewish audience and he says, I have other sheep not of this fold, I think he's also saying that there are non-Jewish people, Gentiles is the big uh, broad word that the New Testament uses often, there are non-Jewish people that God the Father has chosen and given to the Son as a gift. So since God the Father has given them to Jesus, the Father will draw them and they will come. Because look what he says there in verse 16. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. This is not an uncertainty. This is not a possibility. This is not a uh, potential reality. In the mind of Jesus, and thus in the mind of God the Father, this is settled. Those who belong to me will come to me. I will draw them. I will call them. And they will hear my voice and they will come. It's a mysterious reality of God's sovereign activity behind uh, the response of human beings to the call of Christ in the gospel. So why is this good news? Why is it good news that, that Jesus says, I have other sheep not of this fold, and I must bring them, and they will come? Two reasons. Two reasons that it's good news. Number one, it assures us that we belong to him. It assures us that we belong to him. Because listen, the work of redemption, the work of salvation, it's all God's work. You contribute exactly nothing to your salvation, to your standing with God, to your acceptance with God. There's nothing you can bring to the table, which is why I love that old hymn, Rock of Ages. It says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to thy fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. I have nothing to bring. You have nothing to contribute to your salvation. God's not waiting for you to get your act together. We sang a line earlier in in a hymn that said, If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. You're not going to get your act together. Quit waiting for that to happen. It won't happen. You're not gonna clean yourself up and make your life pretty enough for God to be impressed. It won't happen. So it assures us that we belong to Him because we belong to Him not on the basis of what I do or what I say or the choices I make. I belong to Him on the basis that God the Father chose me and gave me to Jesus, and Jesus died for my sins rose from the dead, and sealed me forever as his own. I'm his, and nothing can undo that. In seasons of doubt, call to mind the sustaining grace of Christ. Because we all struggle with doubt sometimes, don't we? Don't we wonder sometimes, is this real? Is this true? Or maybe it's true and it's just not, maybe I'm just not really there. Maybe I don't really Believe this. Maybe God doesn't really accept me. He doesn't really love me like everybody says he does. In seasons of doubt, call to mind the sustaining grace of Christ. When your faith is weak, remember that the object of your faith is solid as rock. Your salvation is not only as secure as your faith, it's as secure as the person and the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. Period. Let that assurance give you comfort and confidence. It's also good news because it assures us that our missionary task will succeed. When Jesus says that he has other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also. He's saying, nothing's going to stop me. I am going to bring in the sheep that God has entrusted to me that are not of this fold. That, again, Broadly, just anyone who is not a, an ethnic Jew, right? Any nation, any ethnicity whatsoever. And he says this beautiful truth at the end of verse 16 so there will be one flock, one shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd of one flock, composed of people from every ethnic, racial, socio political fold. On the planet. God is creating for himself a new people. In Revelation chapter 5 John, the author of this gospel, John has this vision of the throne room in heaven at the end of days, if you will the last season, the last state of things, the eternal state of things and what he sees is this immense worship gathering where people And angels are gathered before the throne, and they are worshiping God. And here's what they are saying in verse 9 and 10 of Revelation 5. They sang a new song, saying, "...worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God." from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Jesus, by laying down his life for the sheep, for sinners, is creating for himself and calling to himself a people from every tribe and tongue and nation and language on the earth who named Jesus as Savior and proclaim Him as Lord and reign with Him on the earth forever. That's pretty cool. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to share in that reign with Him. You will reign on the earth as an under ruler of Christ. Right? Jesus invites you to rule on the earth along with Him. There will be one flock and one one shepherd. So when he tells his disciples in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, go, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. Jesus isn't just hoping that that works out. Jesus isn't just thinking, well, if these guys really kind of pick it up and get a little quicker and a little smarter and a little better educated, like maybe, just maybe, some of the people that I hope to save around the world might get saved. This is a certainty in the mind of God. Those who the Father has given to the Son will come. And those who come, He will never cast out. So our missionary task of taking the gospel to the nations, even the nations in our own backyard will succeed. It cannot be thwarted. Do you know this shepherd? Do you know this shepherd who calls his own and says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you know him? The good shepherd gathers his sheep to himself. The Fourth thing we see is that the good shepherd conquers death for his sheep. Now, this is where the analogy of the shepherd ends. Because no, the parallel stops. Because no earthly shepherd, even if he were to die protecting his sheep, could ever bring himself back from the dead. So at this point, the good shepherd takes a step above and beyond What a shepherd could possibly do. Look in verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me. And I think what he means by that is that there's a redemptive purpose behind the love of God and the relationship that God the Father and the Son have. For this reason, the love of God is in me so that I might lay down my life and take it up again. Lay down my life and take it up again. He doesn't only give up his life, he takes it up again the father's love for the son has a redemptive purpose wrapped up in it that he would lay it his life and take it up again jesus death and resurrection for the saving of sinners was god's plan from the start slain from the foundation of the world and since that's the case since the death and the rising of Jesus was planned from the beginning as the means by which God would save his people and call them to himself and secure them forever, since that's the case, Jesus is acting in direct unity with his Father when he gives his life and when he rises again. And because of that unity of purpose and that fulfilling of God's plan, he can say in verse 18, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Why? This charge I have received from my Father. I'm authorized to lay down my life, and I'm authorized to take it back up again, to rise from the dead, to defy death and the grave and hell, because the Father gave me this charge. I have authority to take it up again. And so Jesus doesn't merely lay down his life. Jesus takes it up again. Jesus makes a fool of death for the sake of his sheep. So that those who are his wouldn't have to taste it themselves. Sure we'll die. Sure our physical bodies will meet an end Of a certain kind. And then there's life to come. Life eternal. And that's why Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 15. Where O death is your sting? The sting of death has been removed. Because Jesus conquered it. Jesus took it out of the way. Jesus set it aside. Death. Hell. Judgment. This is what you're worried about? Let me take care of that for you. He sets it aside. So that his sheep have life. Now and forever. Life. Let me ask you, do you know the shepherd? Do you know this shepherd, the Lord Jesus, who willingly lays down his life, gives himself for your sins, and who takes up his life again and returns again From the dead, never again to die, but to reign forever. The final thing we see in these verses is that the Good Shepherd divides the world. The Good Shepherd divides the world. Look at verses 19 through 21. There's a division among them again because of his words. Many of them said, He has a demon, he's insane. Why should we listen to him? Maybe today people might say, he's backwards, he's bigoted, he's old-fashioned, he's stuffy. right? He's all about rules and regulations. He's not real. We don't even have historical proof. Maybe people say things like that. But others, look in verse 21, others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. He doesn't talk like a demon. He's talking about life and hope and love and peace and belonging. That's not what a demon talks like. And besides that, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? We just saw this. We just saw this. Jesus heal a blind man who had never seen anything in his entire life, and suddenly he meets Jesus and he can see again. Do demons do that? Is that the kind of work that the devil does in the world? So some believe, and some don't. It's no different today. Some believe, and some don't. Where are you? Jesus divides the world into those who believe and those who don't. Because what you say about Jesus, what you believe about Jesus, and where you stake your life in relation to him, is the most important reality about you. Because it determines everything. It determines whether you know peace and joy and purpose. It determines whether you experience the life, the abundant life that Jesus came to give, or if you're separated from that purpose, if you're aimless, if you're wandering, if you're uncertain, if you're fearful. And it determines everything about the life to come. We don't talk very much about that in our day and time and in our cultures and it's seen as strange and outdated and so even Christians a lot of times are kind of afraid to talk about what comes after this. Like there's something kind of you know, simplistic or old-fashioned about talking about heaven and hell and we should kind of do away with those categories and just not even talk about it very much. But the reality is there's a judgment coming. Jesus Himself talks about it all over the place in the Gospel of John. The dead will hear His voice. And I have authority to judge as the Father judges. And so, the question that we each have to answer is the very same question He asked of Peter and His disciples in Matthew 16. He says, who do you say that I am? And the answer to that question is all important in our lives. It determines not only the quality and kind of our life now, but it determines our eternal address. Where are you going to live forever? Are you going to be in the presence of God? Are you going to be with His angels, with His saints? Are you going to be included in that scene in Revelation 5 of people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation surrounding the throne and just singing? praises and thanksgiving and gratitude to God for what Jesus has done to make them His or are you going to be on the outside looking in are you going to be receiving and experiencing the wrath and the judgment of God that's coming because it's coming whether we like it or not we can turn a blind eye to it we can put our fingers in our ears and la 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 I can't hear you I don't know what you're saying but it doesn't change the reality Judgment is coming. Where are you when it comes to Jesus Christ? Do you know this shepherd? Because I promise you, just as Jesus said in verse 10, there are those who would kill and steal and destroy and who would lead you astray. But Jesus, the good shepherd, he came that we may have life and have it abundantly. Do you know this good shepherd? Let's pray.